So we get back to the house and he tells me to go wait inside. And he goes up to talk to these boys. And now I'm a 12 year old kid. I'm scared to death. I remember, I remember Brian sitting in my room and I could go back to that time in my life. And I'm sure you've discussed traumas that we experienced. You yeah. can viscerally remember. Yeah. And I remember like tears streaming down my face, like rubbing the carpet. I could still feel the carpet on my fingers as I think about the story. A couple minutes later, my father comes back to the house and he goes, let's go, Dan. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. Wow. Now Frankie's two years older than me at the time. He's an eighth grade boy. He's going into high school in a couple months and I don't know how to fight. I'm scared and I don't move. And he says it again. He goes, let's go, Dan. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. Louie and Vinny won't jump in and I still don't move. Now I start shaking, trembling, tears coming down my Mm. face. And he looks at me and he has this disgust in his eyes and he goes, they were right. You are a pussy. Welcome to Men This Way podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. What are young men learning about masculinity today? And how can we help build young men into the resilient, connected, empathetic, and strong adult men we definitely need in the future? And what kinds of rites of passage can we offer young men in today's modern world? And should we? Well, in this episode, my guest, Dennis Moralda, who's the founder of Building Men, Dennis and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Dennis, who's a former middle school teacher and assistant principal, is the founder and CEO of Building Men. It's a coaching and mentoring company that essentially helps young men, and and I mean as young as 12 years old, so young boys even, but he helps them start having the real raw conversations that all men, and indeed young men and boys, desperately need to be having with someone trustable. Now, I was eager to have Dennis on Men This Way because you know, I'm usually exploring in this podcast things that are relevant to adult men already fully shaped by their youth. Dennis is in the adolescent fires with middle and high school boys, young men, working to help them feel less alone in what they're uniquely going through, offering them spaces within which they get to feel safe, seen, heard, understood. He's doing the vitally important work of helping actual boys become the deeply empathetic and mentally and emotionally strong men the world needs. Dennis works with individuals, schools, and organizations all over the country providing professional development, assembly programming, motivational speaking, and life coaching. And in today's episode, Dennis and I talk about the ways in which many boys for generations and even still today are either thrown to the wolves by their fathers or simply left alone to fend for themselves, and how that then affects us as men. We talk about letting children fail to help them build the resiliency we all need as adults. We talk about rites of passage for young boys, and we address single mothers' challenges of raising boys. We talk about all that and more. I really loved this conversation with Dennis, and I was deeply served by it, and I believe you will be too. Now, one more thing before we dive in, choose her every day or leave her. My book that sold over 7,000 print copies and recently hit number 12 on Amazon and the dating genre is now available as an audio book. Yes, 
audiobook spoken in my voice. I narrated it. It's a tough word to say. It's an eight-hour audio journey that takes you through enlightening chapters, such as learn to feel your woman or lose her. The sexiest three words a man can say to a woman and the sexiest three words a woman can say to a man. They aren't what you think. Other chapters include beating jealousy and the most essential and overlooked boundary for healthy relationships. It's a book for men and for women that includes so many insights and practices and teaching stories to help you thrive in relationship. Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her is your guide for your journey through the transformational fires of love and intimacy. It is essential reading for any man or woman who genuinely wants to thrive in intimacy. Gosh, I've said that three times now, haven't I? <sighs> and now it is essential listening too. It's available on Audible, on Spotify even. They're doing audiobooks now and pretty much wherever you get your audiobooks. You can also go to my website, brianreeves.com slash book, brian with a Y, reeves.com slash book to find links to both print and audio versions and ebook versions all over the world. Choose her every day or leave her a guide for your journey through the transformational fires of love and intimacy. It's for men and it is for women and it is available online everywhere. Now back to my conversation with Dennis Moralda. Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Dennis Moralda, welcome to Men This Way. Man, it's a privilege to have you on. Thank you for saying yes. Yeah, Brian. Thanks, my man. I appreciate it. I'm really excited uh, about talking to you today, Dennis, in particular because you work with a with younger men uh, in a demographic that really my work, I, I just don't by and large. I mean, the men that are ten, tend to be drawn to my work are th 30s and up. And I've had, you know, a lot of people over the years ask me about working with younger men. And it's just not something that I've, I've stepped into, been called to life. Hasn't pushed me in that direction. And, and so I'm, 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 um, you're a, a unique guest in that sense. So I'm really excited for our conversation today because you have a lot of, of wisdom and insight and experience to share. No, I have, I definitely appreciate that. And a lot of the men that I've spoken to recently in your space are saying the same thing. They wish somebody had got to these guys uh -huh. when they were in their middle and high school years to make what they're doing a little bit more superfluous. 100%, man. I hear that so often. My own therapist, a guy uh, who who wrote books on on men and masculinity back in the 70s, uh, read my book and he said, he said he's in his mid-70s now. And he said, man, I wish I would have had this when I was 20, 25. Yep. And so I hear that a lot from, from men. I feel it myself. I wish I could have written <laughs> what I could write now 30 years ago in my teens and 20s. And, but anyway, man, so I'm really excited to dive in with you, uh, Dennis. But um, first, just drop in, man. How are you feeling right now? I am feeling great. I'm on the East Coast. It's a little cold out here, but as we were getting to know each other in the beginning, my football team... After many, many years of some sad times, made it into the uh, next round of the playoffs. I'm a Giants fan. So when this when uh, this actually drops, who knows? I'll be sitting on the couch playing golf somewhere. Right. But right now I'm at the top of the world. Uh, my yeah. family's doing well. Kids are well. It's it's good times in my life right now. I appreciate the ask. 
I'm glad to hear it, man. Well, I'm, 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 I myself am feeling, oh, still, uh, rather tired from, from 2022. We're in 2023 now. Yeah, we are. Still feeling tired, easing into the new year and, and, and all of the energy that this year is going to take. Just doing my best to, to ease into it and to create spaciousness. And, and this is my first conversation of the year on men this way, man. So thank you for breaking me back into the, to the new year. And, um, again, man, I'm glad to have you. Thank you. Like riding a bike. You're, you're a pro riding a bike. You got it, man. We're just going to get back on and start pedaling and here we go. So, uh, Dennis to, to help our listeners get to know you a bit more, uh, please tell us about a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man. Yeah. Thanks, Brian, for the opportunity. It's funny. Think back on our own journeys growing up. There's something significant that happens with our parents in some capacity. It's usually for young men, a significant situation with their dads. And one of two things happen. You either see this, this thing happen with your father and think, wow, I want to be like this when I get older. I want to emulate this man. He is my hero. He is my role model. Or you have an event that happens in your life and you say, I am never going to do that when I have a kid, when I have a son one day. I had the latter experience, mm. Brian. And mine was, it was when I was in sixth grade. Uh, so going back to my middle school years, it, all the way at central New Jersey was back in 1989. And I was a sixth grade student and really good athlete. And a lot of my relationship with my father was around athletics. He would coach my sports team, specifically my baseball team. And I was a, I was a good athlete in baseball. I went on to play in, in high school and then in college. And baseball was a thing that connected us together. And he was the kind of dad where if you did really well, you got the pat, pat on the back. You felt the love, the mm. acceptance. But if you didn't, if if I was mm. if I struck out three times up at bat or I walked, you know, eight batters when I was on the hill, I got a tongue lashing from him. And a lot of my wow. negative memories were around sports. So fast forward to the spring of my sixth grade year. I was the only sixth grade kid to make the baseball team that year in the, in the middle school. It was a big accomplishment for me. And there were three boys that I hung out with in the neighborhood. We would hang out, play sports together, baseball, basketball, football. And these three boys got cut from the team. And I remember once they got cut from the team, they took it out on me. Young men really don't have the capacity for emotions during that time to understand. Yeah. I'm feeling really sad and I didn't make the team. So what they did was they took it out on me. And it started with them making fun of me, uh, throwing some things at me in, in school, pushing me up into the locker. And then it became much more physical in nature where I got beat up several times. And I remember, Brian, I would get off the bus and I would have to run home as fast as I could so I didn't huh. get my ass kicked to get jumped yeah. by these kids. So there was a time back to that time in my life. My, my father was driving me home from baseball practice. And these three boys are out in the street playing basketball together. Frankie, Louie, and Vinny were the three boys. Oh. <laughs> and God. I could still see their like, like stereotypical North Jersey boys playing basketball in the street. And as we drove by. It's like the bad they, three Scrooges. It was. And they flip up the bird and they yell out F you as loud as they could as we're driving by. My father looks at me and he goes, I thought you were friends with these boys. What's going on? And I'm like, dad, forget about it. Don't don't do that. Like, let's just go home. So we get back to the house and he tells me to go wait inside. And he goes up to talk to these boys. And now I'm a 12 year old kid. I'm scared to death. I remember I remember Brian sitting in my room and I could go back to that time in my life. And I'm sure you've discussed traumas that we experience. You yeah. can viscerally remember. Yeah. And I remember like tears streaming down my face, like rubbing the carpet. I could still feel the carpet on my fingers as I think about the story. A couple minutes later, my father comes back to the house and he goes, 
Let's go, Dan. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. Wow. Now, Frankie's two years older than me at the time. He's an eighth grade boy. He's going into high school in a couple months, and I don't know how to fight. I'm scared, and I don't move. And he says it again. He goes, let's go, Dan. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. Louie and Vinny won't jump in, and I still don't move. Now I start shaking, trembling, tears coming down my Mm. face, and he looks at me, and he has this disgust in his eyes, and he goes, they were right. You are a pussy. And he Jesus. walks out of my room, walks out of my room. He doesn't talk to me for like another month of my life, Brian. Mm. A couple of minutes later, my mom walks into the room and now my mom is my safety net, my savior. I'm just like, mom, I'm a 12 year old kid. I'm scared here. And she comes in and she goes, you just lost your best friend, your father. And she walks oh. out of the room. So now I'm left in this moment of, I, I feel weak. I feel that, that, that I'm afraid and everything is rushing through my, my head. And then there's this feeling of abandonment that, I didn't do what my father asked me to do here by going fighting a kid. And now I'm left alone. So this really shaped how I showed up in a lot of different situations in my life. So when you asked about a story that kind of could set the stage, it was one of the reasons why I got into education. I started doing what I'm doing was that feeling that I had at this time in my life, not being able to go to anyone about how I was feeling. So I stuffed down these emotions for 20, 30 years. Wow, man, that is chilling. Um, what is your relationship like with your father now? It's it's lukewarm. Uh. We we've had an opportunity. I, I shared my thoughts around that. It was a good experience diving deep into that story with him. His recollection was that he was trying to toughen me up and make me a tough kid. He told me stories about all the legendary fights that he got into growing up. But as we peeled back that story a little bit more, he suffered abuse when he was younger. And at several different experiences, and he shared with me that I never knew about Brian. Yeah, so those yeah. were it, it let me into his world a little bit more. Yeah. But he he has this idea around masculinity, which is an, another reason that I got into doing what I'm doing right now. And his idea of masculinity is very different than mine. And we just we don't see eye to eye in a lot of capacity. So we have a lukewarm relationship right now. I tell him that I love him. He told me he loved me. And he was proud of me for the first time within the last year of my life. Wow. And I'm 46 years old right now. So that yeah. will give you a little more insight into how it is. Yeah. I mean, the moment I asked that question and I, I could feel in, in the way that you answered it, it's like, it's, it's the answer that I often give. It's the same. You know, if someone asks me that, it's like, well, you know, it's uh it's a work in progress and it'll, yeah. it'll never be what I, what I deeply yearn for it to be. And the the work is more me coming to terms with that than it is somehow changing our relationship. Right. It's like that generational trauma thing. I understand yeah. that he has gone through a lot in his yeah. life. It wasn't his fault, but how he responds to it, you know, that's his decision. So the things that I went through, I decided that wasn't my fault that I was this 12 year old boy who was yeah. scared. But now it's my responsibility to deal with that. And I look at it as a privilege now that I have the privilege to do what I'm doing right now to help kids that might be experiencing something similar in their own lives. hundred percent, man. I I think we, you know, we are, are men of an age that we are breaking a paradigm. We are breaking a tradition, a, a very unfortunate tradition of men, our fathers and forefathers either being thrown to the wolves or just left alone in the wilderness to fend for themselves. Yep. <laughs> One of the two, you know, is you were, it sounds like you were thrown to the wolves and left alone to fend for yeah, yourself. Both the, yeah. Both the same. <laughs> and both are very bad when you're thrown to the wolves and that whole lone wolf idea. And I know you've yeah. spoken about that recently. It's, it's not good to try to go with that things, those things alone, but as yeah. men were conditioned, toughen up, suck it up, man up. You can do this. You need to be able to lean on other people to help you through that and to help you see your true power. Yeah. 
So let's talk about how then you began working with men that are in their teens and twenties. And, and uh, cause I think that's, that's a, uh, I think that's a fascinating story. Bring us into that. Sure thing. So going through playing baseball in college, I, you know, I love the, the teamwork aspect of it. I just, it was my thing. And I went to school for education and sociology. I did it. I had a dual major and in my sociology major, I needed to do an internship. And part of that internship was doing some type of an experience. And so I decided I got this internship at a group home for young men. And this is in South Jersey in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it was 99, 2000, right around that time frame. And so it was my job to go there and to observe group and individual counseling sessions with boys that were on this in this program because of the court system. So they had done something to get in trouble with the law or they were the victims of abuse, neglect. Um, and so they, there was an after school program that kept them off of the streets. And so I would go and observe and take notes and participate very passively with these young men that were going through really challenging situations. Mm -hmm. And then I got hired as a van driver. And I didn't recognize at the time that this, this hiring changed my life pretty much. So then after college, I would go pick up a van, this white van that held like 12 kids in it. And I would drive to different high schools in South Jersey and pick up these kids right after school, drive them back, be there with them during these counseling sessions, and then drive them home at 10 or 11 at night. Mm -hmm. And as a dad, I recognize now the importance of the drive when you're driving and the kids are focused on other things and you're both looking in the same direction. All of a sudden on these drives home, the boys would start to open up to me about things that they were not talking to mm. clinical psychologists or social workers about. And I'm 21, 22 years old. And all of a sudden we just developed this community feel on these drives home. Mm. And they started to talk to me and ask me for advice. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. And I think I'm onto something here. So put a pin in that story. I, I, I graduated from college and I start working as a, as a teacher. I started teaching. My first year on the job was third day teaching was 9-11, September 11, 2001. I'm a teacher in central New Jersey. I could see the smoke from the towers in the, in the background from my school. And I recognize, again, the importance of having a safe space in a community, especially for the young men in the school who were scared at that time. Went through my master's program while I was in school, got a, my degree in educational leadership. And I started as an assistant principal in central New Jersey in 2005. And Brian, when I started right away, I recognized all the issues I was dealing with in the school with the boys. It was 90% of the, of my time yeah. was with 20 boys. Wow. And so I decided I'm going to do something. You, you mentioned, if not you, then who? Yeah. I thought the same thing. The boys were coming to school late, not coming, getting into fights, getting tossed out of class. And I was like, some, someone needs to do something about this. And I thought, all right, why not me? Why don't I do something about this? I, I went back to that training I had when I was in college. So I started a boys group and I called it Building Men. What I did was I met with these boys in the school, seventh and eighth grade in a junior high school. And we met before school for an hour. And what I did was all the boys in the school joined this program. So I had about 200 boys. So over the course of two weeks, I would do 10 meetings from seven o'clock to eight o'clock in the morning, set it up in a circle. We would look at each other in the eye, shake hands like you're going on a job interview or meeting your girlfriend's dad for the first time. And we would start to talk about real things mm. that they were experiencing as 13, 14 year old boys. And it started to normalize a lot of it. But Brian, what they thought, and I, I'll bring it back to my conversation about my father. I asked them, what is a man? Tell me about mm. when we first started the program. What is a man like to you? Tell me about some, some things about a man. And it was what my father was teaching me. They said, well, you got to be the best athlete. You got to be bigger, faster, stronger. You got to be able to beat everyone up. You got to have a six pack. 
Um, and then they told me you have to bang as many girls as you can or bang the hottest girls in the school. Yeah. So it was athletic success. It was, um, it was sexual conquest. And then it was, you need to make the, a ton of money, have the sneakers, have the car, have the house, have the things. Yeah. So it was about the money that you were making. So it was yeah. sports girls and then money. And this and was, was how like, long ago? This is 2005. So it's almost 20 years ago now still. Okay. So that's when I first started the program. And what we started to do was really break down those ideas of this false masculinity. Those are all things that could potentially be taken away from you as a young man. So let's base it on our character, our integrity. Let's base it on daily habits, on being accountable to ourselves and to other people. And then finally, what can you do in service of other human beings? What can you do to help another person perhaps breathe easier because you were alive and existing on this planet? It was unbelievable, Brian. After one year, our suspension rate in the school dropped 400% in wow. one year. And I was just like, this is mm. this is remarkable. And it just brought me back to this is what I love to do. And I, I felt like I had a bit of a gift in that area. So that was the, where, where the whole idea started from with Building Men. Wow, man. I just, again, chills, chills, because again, I, I, work, with, I work with men, as I said, I, I Pretty much, I've worked with a few 20 something year old men, but overwhelmingly it's men in their mid thirties to, I mean, I've, I had a, uh, I worked with a man 65 years old last year who worked in the oil industry on oil rigs and, you know, had his own oil business, business in the oil industry, very man's man kind of man. And he said to me, I've never felt like a man before at 65. Wow. And so I'm, I'm just reflecting on the, the seeds that you're planting in these young men at, in their, you know, 13, 14 years old, the uh, certain are going to germinate in them to influence the men that they become, that they don't have to be 65 and say, I've never felt like a man yep. before I've, because they got caught up. I mean, it's obviously some men are still going to get swept up in that, right. in, in the culture we live in. Um, but man, so I'm just, again, you know, I just thank you for stepping into that work and serving you. these young men this way. I appreciate that. And it's funny you mentioned what, what it does as it germinates and you water the seed and give it the proper sunlight and some love. And there are kids that are 31 years old now would be my first group of building men kids. And I'm still in contact with them. Yeah. So they're starting their own families and they're, they're going out into the world and doing some great things now. And, and it, it chokes me up thinking about like where it came from, like how it's, it started. And a lot of these kids were, were coming from homes without fathers or homes with fathers that were teaching them lessons that I was taught. And so it was yep. breaking down a lot of those preconceived notions and then yep. building back up again. So what, what are young men learning today? I mean, 20 years ago, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it was before the internet age, YouTube wasn't a thing. Naturally, kids were just learning what their fathers, thats that was their primary source of, of so-called wisdom and yeah. direction was just dad and uncles and other kids on the playground. But what are kids learning today? What are you seeing that young men, is it the same or is it something new and different? What, what's going on today? Definitely the same types of things that they're learning. It's the way that they're learning. Those things are a little bit different. Before a lot of the lessons were learned with things that they were seeing from the men in their life and or discussions on sports teams and locker rooms on the playground, things like that. Now they're attached to a device that's a part of who they are. Um, it's basically yeah. a part of their hand, their, their phones or whatever yeah. they're, they're consuming information. And they have the ability to learn about anything in the world that they're interested in right now. 
I heard Jordan Peterson talk about it recently. He said, 12, 13-year-old boys right now, in 24 hours, they can see more beautiful naked women than the richest king in the history of the world could many, many mm. years ago in 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. And so I think the biggest thing that that we are facing helping young men now is helping them understand the impact that technology has on them, basically like creating this instant gratification culture with young men. So I do feel like we need to help them understand the struggle is such an important part of the process. Like I use the, I use the acronym rare when I'm, when I'm working with young men, like we want to develop like rare, strong young men. And the, the R, the first R is resourceful. So being able to, to get your needs met and like understand your environment. The second is aware, A is aware, aware of their own emotions and how they're showing up. So them being under, like understanding that the third is resilient and understanding. And for parents out there, if you're listening, let your kids fail, let your kids fall down, let your kids fail. And as a middle middle school principal for many years, it was the number one conversation I had with parents, let your kids struggle, let them fail, let them understand how strong they could potentially be. Because if they don't go through those experiences when they're 13, 14, 16, 17 years old, and they're experiencing it for the first time when they're 28, 29, those are the guys that you're like, how have you never experienced yeah. this before? Yeah. And then the, the final thing is empathetic. So it's resourceful, aware, resilient, and empathetic. Is, and those traits will help truly develop a rare young individual moving forward. Yeah, I'm thinking of, um, you know, we were talking about the football playoffs earlier. And I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of this, uh, the game that was at the Buffalo Bills game that was yes. yep. canceled. Cincinnati Bengals, yep. After Dennis, is it Dennis Hamlin? Is that his name? Uh, Demar Hamlin. Demar Hamlin uh, collapsed on the field, had a heart attack, and and in in times past, that game would have just he would have been carted off the field as soon as they got his heart going yep. <laughs> into the the ambulance wouldn't even be even be off the field out of the stadium yet before the game would have resumed. And now there's a, a an unprecedented in a way uh, empathetic expression of, of solidarity and, and, and something that transcends the game. And so, so I'm thinking, you know, on one hand, there is a great evolution that is taking place where, where men are learning to be more empathetic, to be less, to be less focused on just winning the game at all costs and prioritizing relationship really in a sense like our relationship to this man or really his relationship to his family like holding these other things is in higher value than just we have to finish the game and at the same time you know the old paradigms are still very much at play the old paradigms of masculinity are still yes. very much at play 100 percent. it's something that i talk about often brian and, and people ask me about like what does it mean to you it's that balance of strength and vulnerability truly understanding like there are times if you're competing in something the the goal if you're competing if you're putting yourself out there you win the game you do your best to win the game but not at the expense of being a person that is there for other people as well and truly taking care of yourself. Watching that game, I remember I I was just in, in awe of the moment. I mean, one, you're recognizing something, you're seeing something happening that I've never seen before in that mm -hmm. capacity, like them giving chest compressions to a guy on the field. The likelihood of someone going into cardiac arrest and not being in a hospital when it happens, like the, the odds of him surviving was like 10% or something yeah. like that. So yeah. seeing something like that happen, but seeing the emotion on the players' faces and then basically saying, we're not playing this game. So if you need to give us a loss mm. or whatever the case is, mm. both teams, I, I definitely think they showed up in the right way. I think the NFL made the right call, but it took him a long time to get to that point. Mm. Once 
they recognize that there's a man that might die here on the field. Yeah. The game is over right then and there. Because if, if I'm if I'm a, a football player truly taking care of my emotions there, and I this is my friend, my teammate, yeah. and I just see him get caught off the field, how am I supposed to go and and go to war and hit another person? It just it, it was really really emotional. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, man. I'm again. I'm. This has been core to my own awakening as a man, all, all the ways that I was programmed to win at all costs. Uh, you know, I, I write about in my book, how as a man that the idea of, of being connected to heart meant really only you'd leave it all out on the field, you know, being connected to heart meant, you know, throw me the pass. I'll catch the pass at the West time expires to win the game. <laughs> yep. That's what heart being right. had nothing to do with actual relationship. It really right. meant be the hero. Yes. And again, I know young men are getting these messages still today. It's still, I mean, that's the, in, in, in as we study masculine archetypes, right? Uh, did you ever read King warrior magician? Oh Lord? man. Have I ever, oh. I love that. Love that. Right. That's a, that's one of those foundational books for men's work. And one of the things that, that really opened my eyes was the archetype of the hero that is an adolescent masculine or archetype, the hero. And that was really interesting to me as I've, and we live in a heroic culture. As one of my mentors, Francis Weller would say, we live in a, hero, a heroic culture. We worship the hero, which the, the hero is all about self, all about, I am the only way I get to be the hero is if I'm the one that saves the day doesn't even matter what I'm up against. It's just, I have to save it. I, I, I have to be the savior here. Right. And it's interesting. You mentioned, I mean, the King warrior magician lover, it's that I did a podcast earlier on in my podcasting career, breaking down those archetypes and talking about how it impacts young men. Mm. And as a, as a parent or as a coach, being aware of those things and how to truly access them and the, the young men that you're working with, but then the hero's journey, it, it really is a part of the hero's journey is, is, understanding like you get to a point and you fall down and then you're looking for that coach, that mentor, that Dumbledore Yoda type mm. figure in your life to help you see the best version of yourself. And while I understand that part of the hero's journey, it is, a, it is like a, a very self-serving thing, like overcoming to be the, you know, to save the day. I look at it as what can you do to overcome whatever challenges you're experiencing to be the best you can be to serve other people then. Mm -hmm. And once you can make that shift in your head, then it becomes less a, Oh, I'm just in it for the glory, for the for the uh, for that type of of reward, and it becomes serving humanity in a deeper way. Yeah, uh, the way that I I, li I like that, the way that I frame that is, uh, that it's, and I bring this into the men's groups that I run. It's one of our twelve commitments: is is we we don't save, we serve. And I am struck that the the hero is a an is a necessary step that we must walk through on the path of manhood, of becoming, of, of growing from boyhood to manhood. I, you know, I think of, man, how many kids that were into sports, you know, young boys particularly would be on the, on the, you know, just shooting hoops after, you know, after school or something. And, and we do that thing, you know, three, two, yeah, one, right. he shoots, he scores, <laughs> you know, that whole, like I'm the, yep. I've done that countless times. Yes. <laughs> there's you get it you get any man with a basketball yeah on the court he's gonna do that right he's gonna do that there's something about that moment that that is the hero archetype just in its pure simplicity and it's in its ecstasy and um and so so what i want to explore with you dennis I'd love to get your 
insight on this is how do you so that that's a that's there's nothing wrong with that it's it's necessary we yeah. to become individuated to build confidence to be able to trust ourselves to 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 make our way in the world the hero archetype is a natural and necessary you know part of our blueprint that that has to come online as we hit adolescence but what doesn't happen for so many men is we don't evolve beyond that and we continue wanting to be the hero well into our 30s 40s 50s 60s and if i can't be the hero like you know then i'll make my son the hero he's going to be the hero that i never got to be i'm going to live my heroism through him on the on the playing field right i mean that's then the dad that I'm going to, you're going to go up and beat this kid up because that's what heroes do. And I'm a hero and you're going to be a fucking hero. Anyway, it's a shit show. How do you begin then? What does it look like to work with young men to help them? And you've already, I think, alluded to it a bit, but how, how do how do you help young men begin to shift beyond that? Yeah, I love the question. And it's, it's the parents that are living vicariously through their kids. It just it's one of the biggest detriments of, I mean, one, if you're a parent, that's the the guy who's on the sideline screaming at the coach and the kid and the ref, stop it immediately. <laughs> it's not about you. Like it's yeah. not about you, but as far as, you know, what are the things that the, the kids need and, and what can we do for them? I really believe it's, they need to feel connected to a community. They really need to feel connected to a community. Children need to be known. Like we need to make sure we are, we know who they are. They need to be seen in that capacity. Boys in the adolescent age range, I always looked at five developmental needs that they had. And what I would try to do is meet these developmental needs intentionally. It's the need for autonomy to feel like their voice is a part of the space. So what do they feel like I'm listening to them and I'm giving them a chance to share what their thoughts are? The need for competence to feel like they're good at things. One of the biggest things that young men face as far as struggles and challenges is feeling weak or weakness. And I would challenge most yeah. men, that's probably our biggest fear is feeling mm. that we're weak in some capacity. Yeah. The next is the need for fun. Kids are going to have that need met in some way, shape or form. So if we could be intentional about them meeting that need for fun with our guidance, we're in a good spot. They're going to find a way to do it anyway. If it's behind you know, the 7-Eleven right. smoking cigarettes, spray paint <laughs> and shit, they're going to do it that way, right? Right. The need for relationships, not yeah. only with their group, the, the kids that they're going through the shit with, but also, also with men as mentors. And then the final is the need for safety, which that's the blanket that covers everything, right? So them to feel safe and comfortable enough to share what they're going through. So it's autonomy, competence, fun, relationship and safety. So if you can intentionally meet those needs through experiences for the kids, that's basically what I found to be the magic formula as I was working with the boys. So we had this community set up. We had it set it up in a circle. I would tell them what's set of your stays here. So if you share a, only if you're a danger to self or others, is it going to leave this circle? Otherwise, the things that we talk about in this room are going to stay in this room. So they knew there was a level of confidentiality in what we were going through. Mm -hmm. And I shared my own stories with them. So now I'm, I'm a principal of a school who's also in charge of the discipline of the school and everything. And these boys were talking about shit that they were doing outside of school. And there's no way as growing up as a 13, 14 year old, there's no way I would have told the principal of my school about a lot of these things, but they mm -hmm. were asking for advice and guidance. And then they were seeing, listen, a lot of us are going through similar things right now. We're all worried about the way that we look. We're all worried about relationships with the opposite sex. We're worried about our relationships with our family and our fathers. We're worried about what we're going to do beyond high school. We're already thinking about that right now. So they started to recognize, wow, we're all going through similar things here. And then by doing that, it, it a, a 
Uh, it created a, this comfortable space for them to say, okay, we're going to lean into these conversations a little bit more right now. And that's why a lot of the, the, the metrics, the things that I saw with the number of suspensions reduced, or the kids' grades were getting better in school. It was a really powerful thing. So it was, it was doing these things intentionally and then providing experiences for the boys, little rites of passages for them as they were going through. You know, what I'm really struck by as you're sharing is, is I think there's this stereotype or this idea, and I'll own that I think that I, I certainly harbor it, that that young boys, particularly once they hit teenagehood, are just these little brutish Un, unaware uh, <laughs> sociopathic beasts that that need to either be controlled or just you know boys will be boys just let them go do what they're going to do and we'll hopefully they don't kill themselves or make too much of a mess but what I'm hearing and what you're sharing is that actually they're they they have the capacity anyway to be highly self-aware and sensitive to to what they're going through that if just Again, a, a trustable adult, and particularly probably a man. In most, I would I would make the leap to suggest that that young boys are going to feel safer with a man um, in that way. In terms of to be able to share the things that 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 teenage boys are going through. I think a lot of teenage boys, because sexuality is getting turned, mm -hmm. coming online, talking with a woman, even if she feels trustable, could be really challenging because 100%. of one hundred percent. Yeah. And here's the thing too, and I that to that point, I believe boys are like the Hulk, right? There is this monster that exists <laughs> exists inside them, and they are trying to figure out how to to keep it under control. It's like the Avengers. I'm a huge Marvel fan, yeah, right? And so yeah. they ask, they're asking uh, David Banner, like, how do you keep it under control? He's like, I'm always angry, right? Uh -huh. Boys are always experiencing that where they want to do the right thing, they want to do good, but there's this constant battle with that monster inside them that wants to be the aggressor that wants to fight and to, to conquer and to overcome, which is a good part of it. Like they need to be able to understand that Jordan Peterson says, you, you don't want someone, you want to be a monster and then control it. You know, you want to have that ability, but that's a virtuous man that, that has the ability to fight if you have to fight, but only if it's absolutely yeah. necessary and then be able to be tender and control those things and to, to be able to talk about it and normalize it. So with an adult grown man, who's for me at, at the time when I was, when I was a principal, I've left being a principal a couple of years ago, but as a principal to be able to talk about those things and to normalize, like, listen, you're a 14 year old boy and you have a perpetual boner in language arts class. I get it. Yeah. You know, and for, for kids to hear a, a grown man say something like that, like yeah. I understand what you're going through and it's cool to talk about it here. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're like, okay, I can, I can lean into a little a bit of these things. I can let down a lot of this guard that exists right now, knowing that I have a lot of emotions to share. I just don't know how the hell to do it right now. Yeah. Because again, I do believe this is changing. I, I do believe like, you know, we, you and I, uh, I don't have a child yet. My wife and I are working on it, but you and I, and I look at my peers of men and, and women. And, and I think by and large, there is a, there is a, 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 a tidal shift of parenting that's going on. I do see men showing up differently and creating safe spaces. I have a friend of mine who said, um, that he started doing a practice with his, I think he has a son that's about 12 years old. He's got two, two sons, one's 12 and one I think is eight. And he says that when they get into the car, he's let them know that when we're in the car alone together, this is a space in which you can say anything you want to say. Absolutely anything. You can curse, you can, whatever needs to be said, you can say it. 
it's a safe space. And now if your mom's in the car, that's not the case. <laughs> if, right. you know, outside of this car, not the case. And I, I find that, I find that so refreshing. I don't know. Again, I don't know, fully know how I feel about it because I'm not a parent. So I don't know the, 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 the wisdom of that. I'm, I'm curious. Well, what's your take on that? I, I agree that there needs to be a safe space. The drive is a big, a big thing for me. And I would also, if you're a parent listening to this quick piece of advice I would give is if you're going to have an emotional conversation or even discipline your kid, don't do it when you are full of emotion. So if there's something that comes up and they break the rules or there's a consequence that's going to be rendered, take some space for you and for them. Come back in an hour. Say, all right, I'm I'm a little bit upset right now. I'm, I'm angry. I could feel it. Let's talk about this in an hour mm. from now. So put a bit of a pin in it. The worst thing to do is to discipline from a place of emotion because you're revved up, they're revved up, and you're constantly going back and forth. And with kids, a lot of times they they want to save face, so they'll match your intensity. And I got into trouble with that as an administrator. I remember my first year as an assistant principal, a kid was was ramping up the conversation, yelling at me, and I did the same thing back. And it became this power struggle, yeah. and it always resulted in a bad thing for the kids. Yeah. So what I tell parents is to to in as much a way as possible, put a pin in those emotional conversations and then revisit them when you're able to settle down. So the deep breathing a couple different times. So that's one thing that I would say about that. The other thing is if you're able to have difficult conversations shoulder to shoulder with your kid, especially a young man, rather than opposite sides of the table, when you're able to, and physically to do this, to actually go for a walk with them. So they're not looking at your Face, especially if you're nonverbals or in an aggressive way in some way, you're both looking at something together. So whatever the scenery is in front of you, now you're shoulder to shoulder talking and looking at the same thing. The problem exists and you are on the same side of the fence looking at the problem. That's another piece of advice I would give. I do believe that you need to provide those safe spaces, but it's not don't rip off the Band-Aid cold turkey with it. It's incrementally uh, allows spaces for those things to happen. So I wouldn't be like, okay, they're 12 years old now. Get in the car. Drop, you know, you could call me a sea sucker if you want to. I would advise against that. So perhaps you're in the car and you, you say that this is a safe space. And maybe when they're 12 years old, you know, they're allowed to say hell uh -huh. or whatever. And you could... Once they understand that you don't go from it's not zero to 60. So I would say provide mm -hmm. that space, but them seeing you do that in a productive way, say, OK, I need to get something off my chest right now. Here's the opportunity. Let me show you what that is like. Mm. In the beginning of the episode, we talked about riding a bike, right? Getting back into the podcast. I think parenting is the same exact way. It's teaching kids how to ride a bike, right? So first you let them watch you ride. All right. Watch what I'm doing here. See me do it. Then you put the training wheels on the bike for the kid. And you you run behind them while they have the training wheels on and you're holding the seat. Okay, they're learning a little bit more how to do it. Then you take off the training wheels and you hold the seat for them, right? And so now they're getting a little bit more of an understanding on how to ride the bike. And then you run beside them as they're riding the bike. You're there as a safety net. And then they're off on their own riding the bike. The same thing with dealing with emotions, with handling difficult situations. Not just, okay, kid, go ahead and deal with it. Watch me do it. Watch me handle this situation. Watch me have this conversation. Now let's do it together. Now I'm going to let you do it and I'm going to be there to support you. And then you're off on your own. So I do, we do, then you do it. Fantastic, man. Really great advice. I, I, I'm, I'd love to, I, and I want to stay here in the domain of parenting and, and advice for, for parents. I'm reminded of a story a man shared with me years ago about how he gave his 14-year-old son an initiation rite of passage where he, for a year, and I think he set this up by asking his son, are you ready? Would you like to learn what it means to be a man? And then he would have conversations like an hour every week for a year. They would meet and talk about anything and everything related to 
you know, being a man or what he's going through or, you know, I mean, everything from, you know, shaving to girls to anger, emotions, just w- whatever came up in that year. And at the end of that year, he had his son do a hike, a very difficult, but not, not, you know, wasn't going to kill the kid, but, but, uh, but, a, but a challenging hike in the Rocky mountains. And at the top of this hike, his uncle's and some other elder men were waiting for him there. And um, I, I've, that, that story has stayed with me. And I've shared that with a lot of other fathers, particularly fathers of, of, of boys. And, and I've seen the excitement in their eyes go, oh my God, yes. I think because, you know, we, we missed, you know, you and I, I doubt your father or any elder men gave such a uh, a boyhood to manhood ritual. You know, I pledged in a fr- to a fraternity. That was probably the fir- one of the first. Uh, yeah, you know, I suppose athletics in high school. There was some hazing, really, more than anything. Uh, college hazing, same. Those are those right. are rites of those are very those are rites of passage conducted by adolescents for adolescents. The military. I was in the military. That's a a, a rite of passage of sorts. But again, a very a very abusive and and, mm-hmm. and damaging one in many ways. And um, so I'm curious, do you espouse rites of passage for young boys? Do you have any suggestions? Like, well, what's your experience with that? First of all, that man that went through that experience with his son, all the credit in the world. I want to have a conversation with him and just thank him for doing that because what he did was intentionally create an experience for his son, one that he'll never forget. But look at the ripple effect that that had. Mm -hmm. Every time that you tell that story, it's impacting a man who says, I want to do that for my own son. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really powerful. I do believe in rites of passage for young men. I really do. I was able to do it in, in very small ways in my school as a principal. I've done it in more intentional ways with my son. Mm. Um, as in school, I rem- like I would teach the boys how to tie a tie. That was a big deal in seventh grade mm. that they would learn how to tie a tie. I would teach the boys how to change a tire mm. and, and jump a car. Um, those are things that I probably shouldn't have been doing as a middle school principal, having kids outside with a jack and trying to yeah. <laughs> change the tire in my truck. Well, that was I, 20 years ago, man. That was I, different yeah, times. I probably couldn't get in trouble for it anywhere yeah. more anyway. But those are things that they really, really remember. We did this trust walk as well, where we really talked about it. And we went walked through city streets. One kid with a blindfold on leading, and the other kid was leading him. And I remember people were saying, you're absolutely crazy. But I would talk to the boys about this. This was a rite of passage when they were moving from eighth grade until ninth grade to be able to, one, have your trust in your fellow brother and building men. And then two, when someone was with you and you were leading them, the, the enormous responsibility that came along with their life is in your hands right now. You could potentially walk them into a, a driving car. but. So they really took it seriously. And not every one of them was able to get to that point. Like I need to be able to trust them and their ability to do so, to lead another human being through those situations. So those are things that I did as a principal. As far as rites of passage, like for, for fathers, that hike thing is absolutely critical to do something physically with your son. For them to see that they there's something in front of them that's really challenging. And for them to consciously, and um, they're, they're doing it, voluntarily going into the situation, knowing that it's going to suck, like the, the idea of intentional discomfort. So you can create an experience for your, for your kid, for a young man that you're working with. They are going to do something intentionally that they know is going to be really challenging and they do it anyway. And then they come out on the other side, having 
conquer this thing, whatever it is. That's a really, really powerful lesson for kids to learn at that time. I also think other things as far as being able to to start a fire, something along those lines. So the other other things as far as a father with your own comfort level. But in addition to that, Brian, what I would do is talk about rites of passage as far as things that they need to know as far as uh, emotionality is concerned, and then conversation and relationships are concerned. So having conscious conversations with your kids about difficult conversations that they're going to have with other people. So how do you go about asking for a raise? How do you how do you go about if you're on a sports team and you don't feel like you're getting enough playing time? That's not my job as the dad to talk to the coach. Mm. That's your job. Mm. My kids know. So I have three kids. I have a son who's 17, a 15-year-old daughter, and a, and a 12-year-old daughter. I have never talked to any of their teachers before. Mm. They know when they were in third, fourth grade, if there's an issue, it's your responsibility to talk to the teacher about it. I will help you through that. So I will model for you what that conversation is going to be like. And if you get to a point where you feel like you are not heard, I will be that, you know, I'll be that safety net for you. I'll step in. But that's a conversation that you need to be able to have. How do you handle a breakup? You know, how do you handle a breakup as a young man and not be a total dick? Right. Without ghosting a girl, like talk about, be able to talk about your emotions. So I have those conversations with my kids and they're really intentional. So like this guy did over the course of a year, Mm. what I do is I like, we'll sit down and we will talk at dinner every single night and there will be a topic of conversation that I'll bring up. But the result of that conversation will be something that they will take that and use it as a life lesson moving forward. Wow, man, really, really brilliant. And, and it just, I mean, I guess we never really know how kids are going to turn out, but, but it, it just, I, I, you know, I have one of my, well, probably my closest lifelong friend. He's my friend of 38 years and he has a son that's eight and a daughter that's 12. And he thinks he's in a way he he's really hard on himself. He thinks he's the biggest failure as a parent, as a parent, but he's fucking fantastic because he's, he's just constantly creating real conversations with his kids, you know? And, and I love that like the 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 i'm reminded of um i was at a marianne williamson event and there was a a young woman who had a child and she said you know i'm uh marianne does does these q a's at the end of her talks that are just fantastic this is when she interacts with the audience and this young woman asked something like like how do i you know i'm an activist in the world and how do i you know, my, my daughter's like one years old and she's like, like, how do I start you know, bringing my daughter into activism? And, 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 Mar- and Marianne just stopped her and said, look, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, but the, the, the best activism you can ever do is just be a good parent, raise that child. Well, that is the height of act of, of positive activism. Right. And to your buddy too, Brian, the fact that he's very critical of himself about you're going to get it wrong half the time as a parent, Mm -hmm. you're going to make a ton of mistakes when your kids are old enough to hear these conversations to one, I think when your kids are asking questions, they're ready for the answers. So if your kids are asking Mm -hmm. questions about anything, they're asking the questions, Mm -hmm. they've already looked it up. They've already, TikTok has already (laughs) infiltrated their brain with it. Uh So if they're asking about anything, they're ready to hear the answer from Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that I would say is as a parent, it's okay for you to tell your kids, listen, I made a mistake here. I had a conversation with my daughter. She was, she's in there. She had to make a really difficult decision about something with sports and school and a couple other things. And she asked me about it. And I was like, you got to do this. You, you, You can't let your team down. And then afterward, I saw it, she got upset. And afterwards, I, I went back to her and I was like, listen, Jules, I said, I'm sorry in the way that I showed up there. I said, my answer was based on my experience growing up and a lot of shit that I had in my head from your grandfather. And I said, so I just want you to know that I'm here as a support for you. 
I, I want to help you make sure that you have all the necessary tools to make the decision for yourself, but I trust in your decision-making ability in this situation. So I, I made a mistake. I saw it and I, I went back and I talked to her about it. And she said to me the next day, she goes, dad, I want to let you know how important it was for me that you said that. She goes, I was upset yeah. in the conversation. I was rethinking was my gut wrong in this situation? And she said, but the fact that you came back to me and said, I'm sorry, and I made a mm-hmm. mistake. She goes, it, it lets me see that you're human as well. And you're going mm-hmm. to make mistakes as a dad. And she goes, that that lesson that you taught me there was probably a more powerful lesson than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, the last question, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, single mothers of young boys. I've gotten this question again over the years, a lot from single mothers as they're, they're, they're reading my work. And we have a lot of women listeners on, on the podcast. And I know many of them have sons that whose fathers are absent by and large. And I get that question, you know, how do I help? How do I raise a boy as a, as a single woman? And, and what say you, what, what immediately comes to mind for you? One, I just give those women a ton of credit. I mean, it is so hard to to raise a child with a partner that's there as a 50-50 support um, to raise a child, especially a son. And you've never gone through those experiences. You don't know what it's like to, to feel what they're feeling when they're a sophomore in high school and they're feeling really insecure about the way that their body looks as a boy, right? Or as a yeah. young man, or to feel so nervous about talking to a female about not feeling like they're able to do something in the world. So to be able to to step up and fill both roles in the best capacity that you possibly can, I give you all the credit in the world. It is not an easy thing to do. And then you also have this enormous weight on your shoulders of, I need to raise a man who's going to be a good man and be a good partner and be someone who who will then be a good father to others in the future, potentially. So what I would say is, one, give yourself some credit for doing it. Pat yourself on the back. It's not an easy thing. Give yourself some grace as well, because there it will be challenging. Boys and their moms, it's a whole dynamic of, you know, how boys use their mom as almost like an emotional anchor, like their emotional punching bag. There are times where boys are really tough on their moms. Um, and psychologically, there's a lot of reasons behind that we can get into in the future or something. But the other thing that I would say is in an, as much a way as possible is try to find them some type of a group um, it could be, uh, you know, a sports team or anything like scouts or something where they are with other young men. And there's a there's a man that you believe is a good role model or a mentor to help guide them through. Again, nothing against what you're doing as a mom, but boys do need to see men experiencing things and they do need to have advice from men. So, for example, like my daughters, you know, if their mother was not in the picture at all, I would say I need to get you support from a woman who could help you with things that you're questioning, things that you need help with or that you need a level of advice or experience. So where What's a resource? I think you have uh, some kind of program for young men, correct? Or, or you coach young men as, as I well. I do. Tell us about that a little bit. Sure. So my program is called the Foundation. It's an it's a group coaching. It's an online group coaching for young men. Um, it's my my group will be starting up March first, and it's rolling enrollment. So anytime, it's twice a month. It's very affordable. Uh, I like to make it um, more inclusive. I, I I want boys to have that experience of being able to um, interact with one another. Um, it's me and my younger brother Anthony, who is a co-host on my on the podcast with me. Um, he was also one of the reasons why I started building men. I was coaching his his sports teams when I was 19 and he was five years old. 
Um, so Anthony Co does this with me. And then once a month, we'll bring on a mentor to talk about a specific topic. So every month has something specific that we're talking about. Accountability, resiliency, technology, nutrition, health and wellness, finance, difficult conversations. And we focus on one thing per month. Additionally, I coach individual young men that are struggling in some capacity or are just trying to level up. And the boys that I coach are in that middle and high school age range, anywhere from 12 and to 18 years old. And for that, that, that group coaching program, what's the age group for that? So I have two groups. I have a middle school age group. So 11 through 14 years old. And then the other group is more of a high school group, 15 through 18. And what I like to do is talk to the boys first to do a little bit of a vetting, because there are some kids who are freshmen in high school that would do better in the middle school group. And there are kids, and I don't call it a middle school group per se. There are kids in seventh, eighth grade who experiences that they've gone through might fit a little bit better in the other group. So I like to differentiate it, but I have two, two groups that I'll be running in the spring and And it'll go, it goes for a full year. And where can our listeners find that information about that? Thank you for, uh, for the opportunity, Brian. So it's uh, building men website is buildingmen.io, And the program is called the foundation, the online uh, coaching program, group coaching information about my own coaching program is on there. Um, and then I'm very active on Instagram. It's building.men is my Instagram page. And I post there every single day and you could easily access me through either spots to, to get in touch with me. Or even if you just want a piece of advice about something you're dealing with, with a young man in your life. Fantastic, man. Well, we're not done yet. I want to wrap up with, with just two final things. Yeah. The first is, so we've just had, I think a really fascinating and, and useful conversation. Um, we've, we've danced over a number of different topics and insights and, uh, you've shared advice for parents. Uh, we've talked about building resiliency in our young boys. We talked about rites of passage. Let's, let's, so this is the question I want to sum up with. What is the one key insight that you would offer listeners in this domain that we've been exploring that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their own lives or on their children's lives because it has in yours? That's, all, that's such a loaded question. There's there's so many pieces um, as far as, you know, meaningful impact on, on young men, especially. I think, well, I'll bring it to this and it's how I end every single podcast. I use the phrase, go one step further than you thought you could go. And it's a real quick thing. Hey, thanks for listening to the Building Men podcast. Go one step further than you thought you could go is how I end the episode. And it has so much meaning to me, that phrase. As a, as a principal, we would do this camping trip and it was a rite of passage. So the seventh grade kids, every single year, we'd go three days, two nights camping, no phones. Um, There was teamwork. We did a lot around self-confidence, resiliency. It was pushing them beyond their comfort level. And at this camping experience, there was this like 70 foot climbing wall, Brian. And I remember, and I was afraid of heights too growing up. It was a Mm -hmm. thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would stay at that climbing wall and all the kids would have an opportunity to, to climb the wall. And they would, they would get strapped in and there would be like a whole belay system. So it was safe, but there was, they're climbing up to the top of this wall. And I remember I would stay with the kids and there would be kids that would get up there. They'd zip to the top of it. No big deal. They're ready to go on the next thing. But there were those (laughs) kids that were there and their hands were shaking and they were, you know, they were like, Mr. Meralda, I can't do this. I, I cannot do this. And I would say to them, listen, I understand you're going through a lot right now. The, the fear is real. Let's, let's first just recognize that what you're going through is real. But I say, this is, this is an opportunity in your life that you'll look back and you'll remember this moment right now. So I say, listen, your, your feet are on the ground. Just go one step further than you thought you could go. That's it. Just one step further than you thought you could go. And they kind of look at me and they're like, okay. So they go up one rung on the, mm-hmm. on the climbing wall. So now they're there and they're against the wall. They're like, all right, I'm done right now. I'm like, look, look at what you just did. 
you're up two feet. You're further than you thought you could go. I said, so you're here now, right? Do you think you could go a step further? They're like, I don't know. I don't. I'm like, well, just go one step further than you thought you could go. Before you know it, now I'm strapped into and I'm climbing the wall with these kids. The kids are from from the time that they could not do it. They were, there's no possible way. These kids make it to the top of the wall and just the look in their face that there was a moment that they were unable to do something, that, that their, their self-limiting beliefs were, were crippling them. But they had someone in their life that believed in them. That, that was this, played the role of the, the guy, the mentor. And as I'm doing this and seeing them be able to accomplish something for themselves, to me, it was some of the, the most impactful moments as an educator that I've taken into my life as a parent. And my role with what I'm doing right now is if you're able to provide a space for a young person to, to help them see the greatness in themselves and understand that they are capable of so much if they go that one step further than they thought they could go. If you can do that for a young person, take that take that opportunity every single time it presents itself. Beautiful, man. Really profound. I, I'm going to take that with me as well. I love that. Go one step further than you thought you could go. Um, you're doing amazing work, Dennis, truly, man. I really admire and applaud what you're doing. It's not easy work, but it's... God, man, it's such important work, working with young men. Last thing I want to wrap up with, a little lightning round. I call it your five core emotional triggers. You ready for this? Yeah, yeah let's go. <clears throat> Number one, what makes you mad? What makes me mad are um, short-sighted individuals. <laughs> me too. Yeah, it just when people can't see the big picture, uh, especially working with boys, <laughs> oh, they're, they're a pain in the ass. I'm never going to be able to, like, you got to be able to, to understand, we talked about watering the seed to let it uh, germinate. It's not an overnight thing. Yeah. So being able to, to, to take a step back, take a deep breath and look at the big picture. <laughs> I, I've, yep. Great. What makes you sad? It's the loss of what you thought. Um, we have this thing built up in our heads and it's something that I struggle with in my own, you know, therapy and, and coaching sessions is you, you have this idea b- built up in your head of what things are supposed to be like in your life. And there's these times that you you have to mourn for what you thought, how you thought things were going to go. And it makes me sad thinking about, you know, um, like I think about the relationship that I don't have with my father, mm. you know, and I know how I wished it would have been. So it's, it's, it's letting go of the things that you thought were supposed to go in a specific way. So that's when I think about those things that they do make me sad. Yeah. You know, I really relate to that. The, the relationship with the father part, you know, particularly I think of what you're doing and I mean, uh, what I'm doing, like our fathers should be so proud of us, you know, like I'm proud of myself. I know you, you, you're surely proud of the work that you're doing. I see how deeply emotionally it touches you. And there's a, there's a deep gratitude for, for, you know, your work in the world and the impact it's having. And the uh, same for me. And, and the fact that, you know, I so rarely have my, my father's, he doesn't even, it's like, he doesn't even know what I do. It's, it's weird. How's that possible? Yep. It's funny you mentioned that. It's I remember when, when I was a principal, my father, he would talk about me and tell people, oh yeah, my son's a principal. Like it was this pat on the back. Like he raised someone who has mm-hmm. the, has the degree and the education to become a principal and with it carries along a financial, like people know what you make if you're doing that. Right. For him, that was a, that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. When I left being a principal and I started coaching people and doing this work, uh-huh. it's not the same thing. He doesn't <laughs> talk about it because yeah. he doesn't even, he doesn't know what I'm doing anymore. He's right. like, what the hell's that about? It's it's right. funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. So I, I connect deeply with the sadness on that, man. Uh, what causes you to feel joy? When I see my kids do something 
that they thought was uh, beyond them or that they were uncertain of. My my son is an example. He he used to be really fearful of things. He was the kid who didn't want to get on the school bus when he was growing up. He was scared of new situations. And he's an athlete. He, you know, he played uh, varsity football. He was the quarterback of the football team. He did really well athletically and academically. And we started talking recently. I started having these intentional conversations about intentional discomfort, mm. putting yourself in uncomfortable situations in an intentional way. And so he decided last year to go out for the spring musical. <laughs> and he got a, a part in the show where he was, it was like mm. legally blonde or something. And he was like the FedEx or UPS guy. And he does a dance on stage. And it was, I mean, <laughs> my son doing something like that yeah. totally blew me away. I love it. And afterwards, and he's had some really big moments athletically. And he's like, dad, that was one of my best moments of my whole life. Yeah. And I, for me, I, I, it was so cool seeing him do something that he thought he couldn't do before and he was able to do it. So that brings me so much joy is when I see my kids do something that they were scared to do and then they do it and they're like, they recognize just the rush that they yeah. get by putting themselves out there. That's beautiful, man. What causes you to feel fear? It's that weakness thing. It, it mm. definitely is. It's um, the, the only thing that brings me like fear year is that something goes wrong and I'm unable to show up for my kids in the way that I need to, or I'm unable to support my kids in the way that I need to, or it, it, it all comes down to that for me. You know, that that's scarier to me than, you know, mm. being in shark infested waters, really. Yeah. yeah. As, as God willing, I'm on the, on the precipice of fatherhood myself. Um, also likewise, man, that the biggest obstacle to me becoming a father in my own head is that the fear that I won't be enough somehow. Yeah. And you're, you'll join a brotherhood of, of every other father <laughs> potentially in the entire world that has felt yeah. the same thing. But I have to tell you, man, just the way that, you know, you yeah. ask questions and interact and, you know, following along with what you're doing, you, your, your child is lucky to have you as a father. Thank you, Thank you man. Thank you. Uh, final question. And it's a dealer's choice. What causes you to feel either shame or embarrassment or it just makes you want to hide from the world. So I, I I'll get raw here with it. Um, I struggled. It was during COVID timeframe, and so uh, this is uh, you know we didn't we didn't talk about this, but here's you know a clincher as far as like a big mic drop moment at the end. During COVID, I was going through a separation that led to a divorce, mm. and I was in a really really low spot. Um, there was infidelity in the marriage that I it just it rocked my world, mm. and it was. It was really, really challenging for me to um, to go through that, understanding that divorce is traumatic for kids, really is. And so you need to be even better as a dad if something like that happens. So when it first happened during COVID, schools are, schools are shut down. And I was making my living still working with schools as a coach and a consultant. And so I went from making a six-figure salary as, a, as an administrator to making nothing for three months in the middle of a divorce. Mm -hmm. And Brian, when I tell you, I, was, I had the George Bailey on the bridge moment mm -hmm. um, where I was like, is this world better without me right now? It was really bad. I was going through a deep mm -hmm. depression. I was going through, I was drinking every day. I was overeating. I was, I was a total disaster. And... I was, there was no intimacy in my life. And so I was watching pornography on a regular basis. I mean, the guys that you're working with right now, I was that guy. I was the guy who was struggling in a million different ways in my life. So what made me feel the most shame, and it, it definitely chokes me up thinking about this, is what I was doing with building men as an administrator before I, it was after that, that I actually went in with building men. Like, all right, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life right now is overcoming that situation. But I was like, I'm a father of three. I was doing this building men program and I was talking about living your life in a certain way. And I'm not living my life that way right now. 
So I was, I was unable to truly look at myself in the mirror for a couple months. I was really sad, really depressed. And I remember that there was, there was a moment that I had. And one of the poems that I used in Building Men, Brian, was called The Man in the Glass. And I would, I would highly recommend if you're, if you have a boy in your life in any way, make him memorize this poem. I made the boys in Building Men memorize it. The last stanza in The Man in the Glass goes, you may fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. Mm. And that was a poem that I hung up in my school. We talked about it with the boys and I was cheating the man in the glass for, for a period of time in my life. I was cheating that man and I wasn't a role model for my kids. I wasn't the best father. And I, I, I felt a lot of shame around the person that was looking back at me in the mirror. And I, I made a promise to myself. I was, I was driving in the car by myself in the middle of COVID when no one was on the road and crying my eyes out, I pulled off to the side of the road and I was like, I can't believe that this is my life right now. And I remember hearing a song on the radio, Brian, and it was a song that I, I heard a thousand times um, growing up. My father was a big classic rock fan and the song was by the Eagles and it's already gone. Mm. And there's a line in that song. Um, and, it, and it just, it, it impacted me in a really profound way. And it, and basically the line was um, around, you have the key inside of you. It's so oftentimes it happens that we live our lives in chains and we never even know we have the key. And I remember hearing that line at that, at that moment. And I heard it so many times before and I was like, holy shit. Like if I'm going to make a change in my life, like it has to start with me right now. And this is the moment. And I didn't look back. It was like, I just, I made a decision. I'm going to change my life. And what am I going to do? I'm building men is going to be my thing. And I'm going to push my chips in the middle of the table. So right from that moment, it all changed for me. And I mean, we could do a whole episode just on that, that experience. And it was the last question, but that's where I felt the shame. But I use that shame that I was experiencing to motivate me. I was like using my message as my message to help young men. Well, thank you for your vulnerability, deep respect, deep bow. Dennis, thank you for inviting us in uh, even more into your experience, man. You know, I, I have this podcast, not because I just want men to give men a platform to talk about their, their expertise, but honestly, for, for the most part, I couldn't give a shit about that. I created men this way as a, a place where men could have wisdom conversations and, and, and I think being vulnerable and, and, and talking about our very real experiences, I think is, is, is wisdom in action in practice. So thank you, yeah. you, know, thank you for modeling that. I appreciate the opportunity, man. This yeah. is a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Likewise, Dennis. Thank you for coming on Men This Way, man. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Dennis Moralda. You can find Dennis at www.buildingmen.io. Of course, that link and any additional resources will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. It's brian with a Y, reeves.com slash podcast. And if you can think of anyone who might be served by what you just heard, please share this episode with them now. And I would really appreciate it if you would go to your podcast app and leave a review on this podcast. A glowing review will help additional people decide whether to listen to this podcast and doing so you can help lead more men this way as well. And if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe so you get the immediate notification of new episodes. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. <laughs>